This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kira Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We're really excited to have our recurring RV industry and outdoor recreation show for you all today. We've got a couple of recurring guests. Hopefully, Shane's going to show up. He did boot in and said, Hey, I have 45 minutes. I'm you know, in a rush and he'll probably be there for the beginning of the show. So maybe he will pop in and join us. I'm missing Phil and Gracia today. He, is, he has other commitments, but we do have Eleanor Ham here from the Canadian RVDA as well as Susan Carpenter from the RV Women's Alliance and two guys who you probably don't know because they are really newbies in the industry. They just popped in last week. We're really intrigued by their story. And so we invited them on the show. We have to expose new faces and new people. It's Bob Zagami and John DePietro from Nervda and well, 25 other things they've all started in the last week, which is really amazing. So do you guys want to introduce yourselves and talk about what you've done over seven days? Yeah, but now we can add you to the roster too that we appear on your show, right? No, that's not notable at all, sir. That's actually a negative to appear yeah, on the show. That'll hurt us. Yeah, that hurt. Yeah. John and I were working. Don't tell anybody you were here. About 13 insights is our consulting company for media and marketing. I'll let John tell about our television programs. That's all you're going to say, Bob? You're going to leave <laughs> that up to me? Okay. TV shows. We do two national. I guess if you're on the internet, it's national no matter what. But worldwide, give yourself credit. It's worldwide. You know what? You're absolutely correct. Thank you so much, Brian. We do two shows. One is in its eighth year and was started as a lark to see how we would do with it. It's called RVing in New England, but we really need to change the name of it to RVing from New England because it's not just about RVing in New England anymore. And uh, you know what? That is going great. We do that live every Wednesday night on the Facebook page of the New England RV Dealers Association. Oh, and seven, seven years, not eight years. Going on eight years. Going on eight years. I, I could say going on 10 years if, we, if, we, if we're well, real marketing. Yeah, we're wrapping up. Like in high school or college, they told you like five and up is route to the nearest. So five Round is 10. Round. And the other show that we do is called the Camper Report Show, which airs every week, comes out every Friday on the RV Life Network, a group of RVers of about 2 million people. And we don't do that live. We tape that. Bob does a segment. We, here's what we do. We introduce ourselves and we tell the people what we're going to tell them. Then we tell them and then we told them what we told them. Tell them what we told them. Does that sound right, Bob? Perfect sense. Yeah, you're okay. crystal clear over here. And <laughs> Bob does the part on the industry insider stuff with the corporation presidents to manufacturing presidents and that type of thing. And I do the part, which I consider the fun part, I deal with the real campers. Between that and Bob being executive director of the New England RV Dealers Association, the largest multi-state dealer group in the entire United States. And on top of that, we're retired. Terrible word. Terrible word. I'm <laughs> vocabulary. No. 
but, I'm never going to retire. I said, I'm never going to retire. I'm having too much fun. I think you guys. Right, can... exactly. Yeah. I'm really, is that it? Do you have more? You can keep going if you want. You could go up for another hour. All right. I'm going to stop in there. But really, I'm very impressed with all the things that you guys have done. I think I met you for the first time and we were discussing before the show 2020, I think at the Boston RV show just in person, but I've obviously known of you. I've been in the industry since 2012 and just really impressed with all the things that you guys do, all the contributions to the industry. I think you're right about RVing in New England. And I don't catch the show as often as I should be able to, given my schedule. Same thing with Camper Report. But from what I've seen of the episodes, great put together, really valuable industry resources. And I hope you guys continue on for a long time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate the kind words. Yeah. So uh, what, do we have, what do we have we want to discuss in the RV industry today? What's going on? Maybe Bob wants to discuss because we attended several shows. Maybe he wants to. Okay. There's media reports out there saying that the figures are going down, normalizing, but I'm sure Bob would tell you, and Eleanor as well, because they're on that side of the that side of the industry. That the enthusiasm at the shows, I've never seen it any higher. And the diversity in the demographics is absolutely amazing. Would you all agree with that? I think it, it, and it goes beyond the shows. What we've seen, we this show in Boston in January, and it's carried over, I think, for the most part, the dealers that we talked about. At least the crowds are still good. Like the dealers in the middle of the week on a Tuesday or something, and they'll say, I can't believe it. I've got 10 people in the showroom on a Tuesday afternoon. And the weekends are very popular. But the interesting thing is they're selling almost as much as they were. It's down maybe 10, 20%. It's less people coming, but the people who are coming are buyers. We've broadened the, the demographics of our industry now have been broadened from everything from a 19-year-old kid getting out of high school and hopping in a camper van to mature retired couples. So we have products that fit every classification, and within the products, we've got... But, but if you're retired, it doesn't necessarily mean they're mature, though. We've proven that. <laughs> retired, right. immature people are now heading, hitting the highways more than ever before. I mean, you've got to recruit them from anywhere you can. That's why Bob's on a beach right now recruiting... Forests at resorts for Florida and by RVs. I'm not doing it well winters in England. Ever. Aren't you seeing more ethnicity too? I know I went camping last year because right now, obviously, it's too cold to camp, but I was really blown away and I absolutely love to see so many different walks of life in the yep. campground. That I hate to say this, but it's notoriously always been that the white class sitting out in the campground and now it's not like that at all and i absolutely love it it's so great to see susan you bring up an excellent point and bob introduced me to a gentleman who started a organization called black folks camp too yes. bob, yeah you want to talk about our friend earl hunter earl. known earl since his days at sylvan sport and great organization and he's now Looking up with associations also, in addition to the companies that are representing. I just signed a partnership with Earl that will be announcing the next, I think, two weeks. You just announced it, Bob. Actually, you just announced yeah. it. You just, just so. you just announced it, Bob. Okay. <laughs> Nobody watches the show anyway. So you're I seen Spanish people. I had a young Japanese couple and you know how we argue when we're backing in something they were arguing too, but in a language I didn't understand, but the body language was exactly the same. That's so it sounds I'm... different in Japanese. Just... Oh, backing up. Oh, okay. Okay. So they know how to swear in, a, in different languages. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a marriage tester regardless of well, your language. The most part that carries over to the shows also. We're seeing a lot more diversity in the shows, which is good. Uh, the industry's doing a good job of reaching out to blacks and Hispanics. So we're seeing a lot of that. We had a lot more this year. We were years to your point. Susan, you wouldn't see a black person in the Boston show. It's crazy. Love it as much as we do. So what Earl is doing is creating a welcoming environment for people to invite other people into the lifestyle. So I think it's all good for the industry. Yeah. We've had yeah. Earl on the show before. We had a, a diversity focused episode, I think maybe a year and a half ago, Kara, something like that. We had yeah, he was really. It's a time now. I can't even remember the order, but yeah, it was a bit ago. We should have him back. I think it's worth the conversation given. I know up here, we definitely have events and strategies targeting new campers, new demographics. It's something we're absolutely focusing on. And so I think it's a good conversation. Well, I, I always knew where to find Earl at the show. Whenever he was doing a presentation, he would have a crowd around him. He couldn't get through the aisles. Because he's so dynamic in his presentations and his enthusiasm for the lifestyle and any product that he's selling and he's not selling, he's really converting people and he does a fantastic job. So we love to have him on. Yeah, he's a very passionate man about it. When we were in Florida for Tampa for the Florida RV show in January, I ran into a couple called Adventuresome Couple. No, wait a minute. Yeah. Is it them or am I mixing them up with another one? Well, from it's them now. So we'll just go, we'll just roll with it. Yeah. I think it's called Adventuresome Couple. There is and, something. Um, like yeah. They're from Georgia or Alabama, somewhere down there, but they're full-timers. They're all over the place. And the thing is, when you're in a campground, it's not black campers, white campers, Hispanic campers. It's campers. That's if the rest of the world was trying to look at a way to welcome diversity. I don't know if that's the right word or not. Yeah. Use the campground industry as an example, because I'm sure you would all agree that there's no black and white at a campground. And I think that's the value of what Earl is doing. Certainly, I'm definitely not an authority to speak on this, but I feel like the industry as a whole has always been, to a greater extent, inclusive. It's just getting that message out more so that, and obviously there are people who aren't, right? They're very small, few and far between. But getting that message out to say that campers are campers. Yeah. I mean, Janine Pettit's another one that's revolutionary. Right. Women going out on their own too, not needing the guy to, to drive the truck in the back of the RV. And what's really neat about when you talk about that community in a campground, it's almost like it used to be that you don't see color, you don't see income bracket, you don't see any of that. And if your neighbor is struggling with something, you go over and help them. It's just like it used to be. That's the way it should be. It's yep. You go over and help. Oh, strike up a conversation and everybody's friend. Nobody, there's no barriers in a campground. Hey, Susan, you talk about that socioeconomic misconception in a campground. But now you run into every different walk of life in a campground. And the reality is, if you were having trouble with your unit and you needed help, wouldn't you prefer to the person next to you to be a, an electrician, mechanic, or carpenter rather than an accountant or a college professor? They're going to help you. It depends <laughs> on what kind of trouble you run into. Generally speaking. You know, you know, and you're having trouble with your awning and they know awnings. Accountants know awnings. Yeah. Or like your awning is angled at the wrong degree. Yeah. And you know, yeah. calculation yeah. to figure out the rays of 30 degrees instead of 40. Maybe an accountant. So. Or it's windy and you left it out and left. And so your neighbor went over and as long as it wasn't very valuable. Dry, they put it up. Don't knock yeah. accountants. Yeah. 
Eleanor, you're just taking this all in, aren't you? I'm just, yeah, laughing at uh, your, hopefully uh, we don't have too many accountants watching. No, it's a lot of, it's really interesting because we talk at our core being Canada and our marketing strategies on how to attract new Canadians, right, to the industry. And I think it's communicating and getting the message out there of exactly what you guys are saying. Everybody is, everybody's equal. Everybody's out there. People will help you. And trying to get through potential objections or people not quite understanding what camping is. So we work very hard in marketing and with Parks Canada to try to get different uh, people coming into the industry so that hopefully they may start camping in a tent, but then eventually move into yeah. the RV life as well. Gradual. I gradual, think presentation uh, is so valuable too in all that marketing strategy where you see that really diverse representation within ad campaigns and things like that. That's something we're definitely, I'm definitely seeing in my Instagram feed and things like that, a very, a much more diverse population represented camping visually in those places. And I think that's really helpful too. Well, and again, that has to be like a conscious decision, right? And I don't think it's an unconscious decision to say we're not going to include those people in our photos. But right. previously, like I, we have a subscription to Shutterstock for our marketing agency, for all the people we do work for. And four or five years ago, that's all you would find in camping related stock photos is yeah. that. And so unless you were willing, it's not that you were intentionally excluding anybody, but you just didn't have the resources maybe, or didn't put the thought into, oh, maybe this should be different. And I think that's part of what Earl and other people are helping change is everything you look at under a microscope to say, like, how can I be more inclusive? The other thing that helps us out, if there's anything that any good that came out of COVID is the exposure to the RV industry to the masses of people that truly didn't understand it. They may have known that their neighbor had a trailer in the backyard or rented a motorhome for vacation, but penetration over a two-year period, the media covers, the different stories that people had. And that's why when I talk to the analysts and stuff, I don't think we'll ever see the impact of the recession of 2008 to 2012 again, because the base is so much larger and yeah. so many people know it. it's really, it's mainstream. And once you're mainstream, you don't go back because people talk about it. If there isn't a family yeah. in this Canada or United States that if they sit down right now, and say, what do you want to do this summer? And yeah, they might talk about going to Disney or taking a cruise or taking an airplane, but you can bet your life that RVs are in that conversation. It's on the same level. And they know people who have done it. They know people who have purchased during COVID. So the expansiveness of that is going to bring a lot more inclusivity to the industry. But is it just our, I know we're talking about RVs in the show, right? But is it just RVs or is it the inclusivity of glamping and the more luxurious accommodations that are bringing in different demographic too? I think, the coverage, I think the coverage that we've gotten has covered everything from tents to glamping. Yes. So there's been enough of this. So people, that's a good point, Brian, because a lot of people think they're just trailers and motorhomes. No, there's a lot more activity when you get to the campgrounds with the covered wagons and the yurts and park models and the stuff that we have. So seeing the industry on a much higher level. And so they're intrigued about what the different components are. You think about it, when, if there's nowhere else out there that you could go and say, you got such variety, you could either rough it out in a tent without any utilities in the middle of nowhere, or you can go up to a multi-million dollar unit that has more than your house does and you know, everything in between, where else can you experience so much in one you, industry? You yeah. absolutely can't. You, you, there's no way you can. And it's future proof. It doesn't matter what you imagine in the future with his 
or with the future tech or AI evolving or what, like there's going to be camping and glamping on Mars. There's going to be like glamping accommodations that float above the earth in a bubble. That's 300 years from now. I don't know. But, but my point is that can be adapted. Our industry can be adapted to fit almost anything. Whereas hotels are going to narrow a box. Oh, totally. Narrow totally, totally. Oh yeah. That's like if what, story. It's close to home. And every time I tell this story, people, their eyeballs roll to the back of their head. But don't worry. It's a clean story. My, my two daughters are 45 and 41. They don't want to hear. They don't want you saying that publicly to them. <laughs> but if, you know, nobody watches the show, so they won't. Well, watching. So the only yeah. thing you John, is if you even look what Dad did in program this week. I will. So, then. We've gotten together and talking last year. Now they know dad's been an for 40 years. They know, know a little bit about the industry. And we started talking about what they were going to do for vacation. My youngest one says, just get back to Lampane. It's really, we didn't know they were going, but they went to Terramore, Acadia, and they had a wonderful time. And the other ones taking Bobby to Auto Camp on Cape Cod next week. His two adult children, if you will, without any assistance from dad, without asking dad anything, you know, but it can't be answering up. This generation was so thrilled with what they were seeing in the marketplace during COVID that they made a decision on their own to enter into the lifestyle without ever saying anything to mom and dad, and yet knowing my experience in the industry. And they said, dad, we have good jobs. It's nice. We can afford it and we can do it. And they did it. And they went to glamping areas without saying a recommendation for a kid. Oh, should rent an area. He didn't need any assistance. And that's when I look at the broadening of the marketplace. I think that's a fantastic story. Because if it can happen that close in a family that's been camping for 40 years, that has an integral, integral integrated into the RV industry. Just think of all the people that we don't know who are having that same conversation, those kids are doing the same thing, and we wouldn't have even counted them in the industry two years ago. Let me go back to something that Susan just said a few moments ago about the wide variety of people that are camping now, whether it's a, a tent, a pop-up, a travel trailer, or a 45-foot diesel pusher with electric floors, and et cetera, et cetera. I love the specifics. Yeah. The one thing that they have in common, not in the methodology of how they camp, it's the campfire. Because every one of those people at some time during that camping experience, whether it's a week or a weekend, they're getting around that campfire. And when you get around the campfire, the demographics are gone. It's the magic of looking through that campfire and seeing your kids, whether they're 41 and 45 years old or your grandkids that are four and five years old, the magic that they have. In fact, even Brian, even in your intro, it was quite a bit. It was toasting marshmallows and there were campfires. We are called fireside chat. That's exactly right. I guess video but appropriate. That's right. my favorite place to be camping. I raised my kids camping. So my favorite thing was other than when it rained, my daughter loved when it rained because that meant we all got stuck indoors and we played games. But Sitting around that campfire, other than we've lost that sitting around the dinner table, now it's the campfire where you sit around, you catch up, you connect, you talk, you connect. And yeah. multi-families will sit around the campfire and just enjoy the outdoors. 
I know with the groups that we camp with a couple of times a year, people that camp and can't revolve around a charity, they'll get some campfires going and everybody you bring your chair starting at nine o'clock at night. And then little by little, people start dropping off that they can't stay awake anymore. But the magic of the campfire is whether it's 90 degrees out or 45 degrees out, that campfire, just think of the sparkle. And I don't mean the snap, crackle, and pop, but just the light in the kid's eyes and that kid's, regardless of what age they are. It's just kind of the help course you stick to it. And it's an international thing because when we've gone north of the border up to Canada, same thing. You don't know that you're leaving New York and going into Ontario. You don't know you're leaving Montana and going into Alberta. You don't know you're leaving, what, Oregon or Washington and going into... Some of my stories is for the longest time, my son lived in Michigan. We lived in Buffalo, New York. So for the 4th of July weekend, we'd meet halfway in between. And so we'd spend our 4th of July in Canada. <laughs> with hey, Everything was open. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as crowded, but it's beautiful provincial parks, like right on, on the lake and stuff like that. So we would just kind of laugh that we flee the country for the 4th of July. Right. It was their campgrounds, or I would equate them to like the New England campgrounds, that they're very wooded and they're beautiful and well-kept. I have to say, when I was the campground runner, the 4th of July was one of my top weekends. I had tons of Americans every year for 4th of July come. We always did a big, like, dinner event and live music and all of that stuff. It was a big driver for me. The timing fell nicely with the Calgary Stampede right after. It always starts. At the end of the day too. So, well, we would do one after the other. We'd have Canada Day and 4th of July and then Stampede would start. Those were big drivers of traffic for me back in those days. And the 4th of July party was always very well attended. We get Bob and John up here for Stampede. I think they would enjoy it. When it's in <laughs> July, it's the greatest outdoor show on earth. Yeah, July 7th to the 16th. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And actually, our board is meeting, our board, the RBD of Canada National Board is meeting in Calgary on July 6th, just so that people can stay and potentially go to the stampede. Am I invited to that meeting? I'm here. You're in Calgary. We might have to have you make a presentation. I don't know about that. I'm getting nervous. Oh, okay. But to know it's a great opportunity. If you guys, anybody from the South wants to ever come up, Akira knows more about it because she's from Calgary, but it's really a huge, looks like a fabulous event. When you're in New England, your Canadian affiliation is Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, yeah, EI, and you, you go out West to Ontario, you got Quebec and Ontario. And then after that, I'm not as... Geogra I'm geographically challenged, but definitely. I think half of New England thinks that this stops at Montreal. You don't realize it extends across the whole I feel market. like they could say the same thing about the United States, that it stops at like Ohio. Yeah. Maybe. And then you go to California. Not Ohio. That's how it works, right? I mean, it's been a long time since I was in social studies. Carol, let me ask you this. With the summer of 20 being closed borders and 21 being closed. I think the Canadians, because I think in 21, the Canadians could come into the U.S., right? The snowbirds, could they go down to Florida? As, yeah, I believe starting in, it was starting in 2021, they could. Okay. No, I don't think so, actually. No, I think it, it was, was late 2021, I think they opened it, but you still, I think, had to have like vaccination or something. There were sort of workarounds. It was closed to non-essential travel, I believe, till January of 22. 
Correct. So, yeah. I, November, because I'm trying to think we had our conference. I did go to the RBDA in, in November of 2021, but you still had to do testing. So it was all the testing yeah. before yeah. after it. It definitely impacted people's travels, but it it was great for domestic tourism. Right. We did lots of interviews with Canadian publications about how Canadians really, I think it was harder to get to the, from the U.S. to go north than it was the other way around. So your campground owners were saddled with more restrictions on the U.S. market than I think the other way around, if I recall. We're really, right now, 2023 is really the first year we're not held back in in any sort of significant limitation way. We're expecting an international market to re- reopen. All the re- RB rental agencies are amping up and gearing up inventory and all of that and seeing significant booking numbers. So that international market is reopening the operators up here. And then, yeah, I think there's a significant amount of strategy around welcoming back our American guests. I know I was talking to a park that's on the Alaska Highway and they're seeing lots of bookings for Americans heading back up that way that they haven't seen for three years. My park was roughly 35% of my guests at my park were from Europe. They were from Germany. And that was a significant blow to that business during COVID. And so I think they are now, park is still there. I'm not involved anymore, but I think they are definitely now looking forward to welcoming back those guests. And that will have a significant boom to their bottom line that they've lost out on the last I don't think we've seen as much coverage on the international travels as we have Americans going to Canada or Canadians coming down here. Tonight on our show, we've got Ali Rasmussen from Spacious Skies. One of, one of her campgrounds is Miniman, which is about 30 miles, 20 miles outside of Boston. About a third of their guests, these summer, are international travelers. Yep. When you combine that, as that starts to pick up now too, we didn't talk about that as a, a, a revenue source after COVID mm-hmm. and all the restrictions being on. This talk down here in Florida, if somebody's thinking about coming down to Florida to Snowbird this year, they can almost forget it. The, the parks is parks are so full. The parks down here are now taking reservations for 2024, mm-hmm. winter of 2024. And so that, that's going to be an issue. And people talk about, we sound like a broken record every week, but we talk about it on both of our shows that your reservations early. I don't know. From that side of the table, what can these campgrounds do to make people understand that you have to make these reservations early? Are we preaching to a blank wall or are you seeing activity where people are truly doing it? I think most well, I- Ahead. I think this is very market dependent too, right? Because we work with 400 plus campgrounds just on the marketing side of Insider Perks. And I think that there's no doubt that Florida is exactly as you're describing, right? And I think a lot of the tourist areas are still filling up. I think it's a little like hit and miss though, given the way the economy has been trending in some of the other areas of the country. It's certainly not a negative anywhere, but sometimes it's a negative from 21. Folks are booking with less time in advance. Yes, yes. Yeah, and in some of those areas, and I think from the campground side, it's it is tough to communicate that to books to pre-book. I think the market, like Ryan is saying, really dictates the consumer behavior. If you want to get into those parks, you're going to book early, and mm-hmm. if you don't, you're missing the boat. See, right. so I think that's what I'm saying is that's negatively impacting. I think I think they were doing good in 2021 or 22, sorry, because they learned from 21. 
But now the economy is causing them to have to wait and see and maybe put off and they'll still go camping, but for booking windows shorter, so then there's going to be a big rush and then it's going to be the same problem again that they had in 21, that there's not going to be anything full. To alleviate that problem in Florida, at least, what Sagami hasn't told you, but I have spies that have told me, he is currently painting his house bright yellow and has got two hookups in the front yard. And he was on the phone with Toby O'Rourke today trying to become a KOA property. Smart strategy, branding. Like if it really makes sense because KOA's got Terramore at the high end and they've right. got their resorts and holidays and journeys. And really there's an entry point level there, I think, right. for the two spots. Oh, driveways. The house, yeah. Sure. Driveways. He doesn't qualify as a harvest host because he doesn't have a gift shop. You bring that up, but it does, while some campgrounds are going to be full and there's going to be limited space, it does bring opportunities for other types of not necessarily saying Bob's driveway, but for the other campgrounds that potentially would have less traffic or are not at one of the big, they're not in Banff or Jasper, they're in different areas. It really opens up the opportunity because people are now wanting to go camping. They're looking for places to camp. And now these campgrounds can say, have you thought about here? And it will bring more exposure and potentially bring people to camp in different areas that they haven't necessarily gone to before. It's a terrible idea. Like it wouldn't make financial sense, I don't think, for a KOA, but it really doesn't, it really isn't a bad idea. Like a just pretending playing on KOA, right? KOA Express. That is five to well, 20 sites or something like that. But Brian, still is very high standard and quality. What, one of the stories that we're going to talk about tonight as we tape our camper report show this week is that Love's Truck Stops, OVES, yep. are now building RV hookups. They've got 10 properties, no, 30 properties with about 360 sites throughout the country. They're not just in one area. And they just want to get that camper who's going from one place to another. They just want hookups. And Brian, the thing that I know, because I've used them myself, is the Ohio Turnpike has eight properties going east and west that have RV hookups at their rest areas. And Love's, and I'm, I've heard that even there are some Marriott properties that are considering putting in some of course, uh, there are it's like a super low barrier to entry. You've got restaurants and you've got yeah. shops at Love's and they'll spend more money. It's yep. brilliant. It really is a brilliant idea. And for one of those people that would be going on a long trip and spending the night in a Walmart parking lot or loves, and it's not that we didn't want to stop at a campground. One, sometimes availability wasn't there. Yep. Or you're you too know, far two, off the road. Yeah. And two, yeah, it's too far off the road. And two is if you're driving till 10 o'clock at night and all you want to do is sleep like six hours, six yep. hours or whatever before you get back on the road to, to, Get into a campground and all that kind of stuff tends to be quite the hassle. And we're talking a quick overnight. It makes all the sense in the world because people are already doing it. Brought up Harvest Host, but we've had Joel Holland on our show several times. And he is the first one to admit that he is not in competition with our He's been on our show and said the same thing. Yeah. And I agree with him. He's complimenting them. And they've come out with this camper card just a couple weeks ago. That it's a discount card for RV facilities. There's the card right there. Campers. He was, I, I don't know card. how many weeks ago. Was it, were you on that show, Kara? But he was on here talking about campers card. And we, we did yeah. a little grilling of Joel, but we ended up on the same page where we think it's a good idea. Yep. So. And now he's, he just bought a property in England called Brick Camp or something like that. Joel did? Yep. Brick Space, I think it is. Yeah. It's comparable to Harvest Hosting. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, company. I thought you meant he bought like a campground or something. Okay. Oh, yeah. I talk about that. a person who is an innovative marketer. Yeah. And when he, I don't know if you guys, are any of you members or stayed at Ford an RV? I'm waiting you know, for Nerve to sponsor my show. And I'll be able to. He, <laughs> he bought the golf course thing. So the, now there's 300 to 400 golf courses. Now you say, what are RVers? Are, are they golfers? Not necessarily, but golf courses have parking lots, big parking lots that are not used at night. And they also have great dining. So at night, you can have a meal in the clubhouse, sleep in the parking lot. And then in the morning, because golfers start early, they usually have great breakfast. That's just and a you great can get idea. Tea before everybody else. And they're quiet. They're quiet as well. And statistically, there's more campers than there are campsites available. So it's not like you're taking business away. No. You are helping the industry as a whole for those that are getting aggravated because they can't get somewhere. If it was flipped, then I could see a little bit more of a activeness between all the different companies that are coming up with innovative ideas. But for now, I think it's brilliant. Well, this we talked through with Joe I think it's just a lack of understanding on the part of some campground owners how their guests get there, who they are, what they're looking for, the different types of camping they do throughout the year. They might go to Harvest House and then come to a private campground or stop on the same trip. So I think it's, a lot of it is just that I don't understand my market demographic because I don't look at the analytics of the data or understand the marketing. And so therefore, I don't understand that, that my guests might complement each other very well or they're not pulling or stealing from me or something like that. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to camp at a lot of truck stop. No, no, not at a golf course, maybe, maybe. Yeah, but you guess somebody complain about this host or somebody sleeping at a Walmart. On your show, have you had anybody that addresses an area that John talked about before is why more campgrounds starting a service center on the It's a tremendous now, my dealers don't like it when they say that, but the fact of the matter is we have a ground in Lone Oaks campsite that has not only a service department, they get three service technicians. They people are people who make reservations in the campground to go on vacation in that campground so that they can have their RV repaired. It's a ready audience that they advertise and just make sure that it's out that people know about it. Everything is automated. Everything is prepared. You go off and say, I need a new awning installed or fix my brakes or something. You go out for the day, the service techs come and you come home at night, they give you a pad to do it. You pay them. I did a presentation once. We didn't even get a question at the end. They looked at us like eyeballs in the back of our head. I'm a camp girl, which I'm not. And I'm looking for additional revenue sources and yeah, there's other competition on area. This is money dropped at your doorstep. You guys covered that at all or? We have, I remember the conversation coming up because we had talked to Kirk from RVCI about techs and the ability for them to be flexible and do, there's a shortage of them, obviously, his efforts to train them. And I've I feard, like at some it. point it's come up. I've heard, Kara, like I feel like we definitely have. Maybe not an expert in that or that campground owner who already has that. But I know it's I been brought up about having repair guys who stay at campgrounds and are available at least maybe yeah. not day. I know of many campgrounds who have great kind of a 
relationships and partnerships with like mobile techs and things like that are there are several limitations I think up here that maybe don't apply in other areas of the world. If we have serious, significant RV tech shortage up here, I'll maybe let Eleanor touch on some of that because I think she's got the yeah the dealer side from the dealers. Obviously, they're they're that we have a huge shortage. It's North America wide, right? In terms of having technicians, the dealers are always looking for people. The other thing too, is that we do have some pretty strict provincial standards. In Alberta, for example, where CARA is, you need to either be, we have a program called the Red Seal Certification for all trades in Canada. And we have a national occupational standard for the RV service technician. And so in Alberta, you either need to be licensed as an apprentice or have your journeyman papers. So it's actually, it's illegal to just be a tech and not be one of those two things in the province of Alberta. And it's a designated trade in every, we want to just make sure that if people are technicians, they need to be working at a dealership. They need to be registered in the apprenticeship program. They need to be going to school. Once they have their papers and their journeymen, yes, potentially they can be mobile techs, but it just, we just have to be careful. Do you have independent mobile techs up there? We do have some. Yeah, we do have some. Not as as many, I think, as as there are in, in the U.S. Obviously, we have fewer people up here anyways. Most of them are affiliated with dealerships. And actually, we do find that, that some of the campgrounds, while they have mobile techs, a lot of those techs may be affiliated with a dealership. And we always recommend for many reasons that dealers get to know the campground operators in their region. Oh, and that oh, would be, oh. we, Eleanor, we've never discussed what we're going to talk about on this show, but Bob and I spoke at a conference four or five years ago, and we had campground owners there and some people from Elkhart. And we asked about the relationship between dealers and campground owners and they looked at us like it's are you crazy why would we want that what do you do with your rv after you buy it from the dealer you go to a campground okay and how much relate how much interaction how much speaking talking communication is there between the dealer and the campground it may be different in canada but there's very little in the u.s and you're right and one of the things when the dealers when they see me writing about that or talking about that, they get upset. But then I say to them, you don't understand, we're all part of this ecosystem. It's nice that we sell them as dealers, but first impression of what the lifestyle is, is going to be in a campground. So the ills of what got them into the campground, so when their RV doesn't work or it leaks or the awning doesn't go in, they're going to go to the office and they think, because it may not know about the industry, you've got people sitting there just waiting to fix your RV. And they might have the loves. Yeah. Huh? I, I wouldn't be surprised if love takes that one more step because they have it for trucks. But wouldn't it make a lot of sense? And then the campground owner, and this is up on us pretty well, but the campground owner has a frustrated guest who can't get service, will say to them, well, Call your dealer and see what they say. Yeah. Could be a local dealer. And the local dealer is not going to go out. Most of our dealers do mobile techs. So we have a lot of a lot more mobile techs. But the dealer who just sold you something isn't going to go out to the campground to fix it three weeks later because he's busy trying to make money in the shop and doesn't have people. They so need, far, I mean, 
the wait is long too. And I got to admit, so we're doing RV technician classes throughout the country right now. Okay. We did Texas, we have Oregon, Elkhart, Florida, and Pennsylvania still to go. And we've had a couple campgrounds either go through the class or they are signed up to do the class. And true to what John and Bob are saying is some of these campground owners are saying one of the questions we ask to qualify for the classes, what are you going to do with your, your technician training? And the campground owner says, I want to service the, my customers that are in the campground. So if they have an issue that we as a campground can offer that service. So I think there's grumbling or a good start to that. I know you guys talk about it 45 years ago, but I think people are starting to realize that this is going to be needed because whether they get at the campground, something breaks. The local dealer can't take care of them, or if they can, they're six weeks out. They can't wait that long. They're not going to stay in the campground that long. There's got to be a solution there, and I think some campgrounds are starting to see that light. I tell you, I think the push here, honestly, is going to be the economy declining and the need to differentiate your campground from someone else's. Yep. And whether that's with an RV tech or a repair bay, or whether that's with a new accommodation or serving cookies at the counter or whatever it is for what, 10, since 2010, right? When the economy started recovering from 2008 and really like you're a recession proof, right? Assume that we've been going up and there hasn't really been a problem. You just open your campground and you're basically full unless you do a terrible job or you're really grumpy. <laughs> I think there, it's just the same thing we're seeing in marketing, right? We're getting calls from people who didn't call us for the last seven or eight years because they were just full and didn't think they needed marketing. Right. So really that's part of the you know, have to advertise, have yeah. to market. Brian, you're a marketing guy and you brought up a very important point. And regardless of what industry you're in or what type of business you're in, the big question is what makes you, you differentiate yourself from everything else out there. And if you pick up any kind of camping directory and you look at, they all look the same, but what is it that makes your facility different? Is it the smile on the person that they greet when they first come in? Does the person look like they just came out from under a rock for three awesome. years and and it doesn't you know, have to be a huge difference maker it has no. to make you memorable the first thing the first thing they can that and john and i talk about when we talk in the campground associations we bring this up and they don't like it but the first thing they have to start doing is take down the sign at the front entrance when you show up it says you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this you can't they give you 10 or 12 reasons to piss you off before you even go to the front office. Then it says, welcome. We could have a whole show on this, guys, because I agree with you. I think all of us here are under the impression, that impression, but the mindset that operating your campground in the next five years has got to be different than the last 10 years. Because I always chuckle when I hear someone say, we really love camping. And when we retire, we want to own a campground. And take it easy. Carrie, you have In the 12 years I ran a park, I had weekly, multiple times weekly, my guests saying to me, Oh my God, this is the dream life. You're so lucky. It, this, I want to do this when I retire and whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I always had to laugh at it. <laughs> and the reality is, what are you going to do to differentiate yourself? And if you keep doing the same things, because now the marketing is totally different. The market is totally different. It's not the retiree that wants the 40-foot Class A gas or diesel pusher. 
It's five years ago, if you said, I want to buy a class B, people would, number one, they'd laugh at you. And the other half would say, what's a class B? Yeah. And the other now, thing, the others wouldn't know where to get them because most okay. dealers wouldn't carry them. This is part of needing to differentiate yourself because of the economy. And that's going to kickstart a lot of it. But the other part of it is that technology is going to force a lot of this to change. And we've talked about it on the show before, but the way they find your campground in search is about to exactly. change automatically. Exactly. You're not going to have 10 blue links. So if you're number four out of that answer and bang, you're in trouble. The shifting demographics, I think, are going to drive a lot of this too. It, it, as yeah. we see the demographic shift, the things they expect and want and desire from their camping experience are going to shift as well. And we have to stay on top of all of those things and find our niche within that expanding list. Which... I found my niche. I'm just going to talk about AI forever. And eventually they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. But Literally can have no other conversation than that. I just wish they had that when I was in college having to do term papers. That would have saved a lot of time. Oh, they just God. came out with 4.0 too, which is, we thought 3.5 was. Well, yeah, we've only talked about that. I was happy to have a 2.0. Yeah. Eleanor gets that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to play this whole thing. I'm curious. Just because we're talking about it for a second, I'm not going to play this whole thing, but I prepared this video earlier just in case we ran out of things to talk about, which obviously I was stupid for thinking that with John and Bob on the show. Um, and I'm not going to play the whole thing, but check this out. We're going to do this maybe in the future if you guys like this, if we run out of ideas for the show. One, I'm so glad to see you all again on another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Brian asked me to briefly suggest some possible conversation starters for this episode based on recent articles in Modern Campground. Before I do, though, welcome to the show, Bob and John. Glad to have you. A pleasure to see our recurring week four guests as well, Eleanor, Shane, and Susan. Okay, here we go. We've got four fascinating news stories that could spark some great conversation today. Let's dive in. The RV Industry Association has created a sustainability committee aiming to promote eco-friendly practices within the industry. This is a response to growing consumer demand for sustainable products. What are your thoughts on the industry's environmental impact and the efforts to go green? So they'll make a big whole thing. But I had three more stories. Conversation starters. But it's all AI. It's still creeping right. me out. Like his mouth with the robot boy. His mouth is a little bit off, but the voice is the voice. We use it for all of our podcasts. Not that before voice. the latest, somebody input all their information and it did its ta its person's taxes. Yeah, yeah. It should put hundreds of thousands of people out of work. I know I put my bio in there because my son let me. He gave me a limited account on the four because he's still a beta tester for them. So if he gets a little bit ahead of everybody else. I put my bio in there because I wanted it to sound more professional. It rewrote it for me. Change your name. Oh, it, no, it did change for name, but wow, it made me sound so much more professional. Well, you mailed it out and buy new job offers. <laughs> it wasn't my resume. It was just my bio. The words it changed on there. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? It's, it's incredible. It's all about the time saving. Like it will eventually eliminate some jobs. It will also create new jobs, but it's going to enhance our productivity more than anything. And the problem that a lot of people are going to run into is they don't know the tech. Yeah. And so you're already seeing it. Like you need experience with ChatGPT to apply for this job. Like it's already all over the place because they know if they hire somebody with ChatGPT experience, they can do in 40 hours what somebody else would take 60 or 80 hours to do. Yeah. I used it to write a description. I'm planning my 20 year high school reunion right now. I used it to write an event description. What, what did you say? 20 year? 20 year. Yeah. Jeez. yeah. Huh. And 
I, <laughs> it was fascinatingly hilarious. There was all these like early 2000s references throughout the whole thing. It was genius. Like it just, and it did it in 90 seconds. Not well, even. Did you see what you guys use Microsoft Office 365? Did you see yeah. what they announced last week? Oh, yeah. 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 Like that, if you haven't seen that, Bob and John, go look at the YouTube video. Like they're going to integrate it in all their products. So you can talk to an Excel spreadsheet and ask for financial data and you can compare that and do a hypothetical and it'll create a chart for you and generate all this stuff in Word. It'll, you can text and say, here's a press release, attach the press release file, create a PowerPoint for me and it will do it like that. This is going to change and it's coming fast. Very fast. Just look at the last two or three months since it started to get out there and yeah. people started to really yeah. play around with it and see what it could do. Yeah, you know what? Time to get there, but it's just incredible. This is my son's field of expertise in some aspects, and it's just—he's been talking about it for ten years, and he's like, now everybody understands, and now everybody wants to know about it. He's, where were you ten years ago when I was trying to tell you about it? And nobody believed me. Well, that's the thing, but there's other benefits <laughs> to it too, right? Like we've done—I don't know, Bob and John, if you've seen—we did Campy the bot or whatever. We put on Verde Ranch RV Resort in Arizona as a test, and he's still there. He does really well. And we're going to launch that for our clients who have websites soon, but it like we can train it on all the refund policies and cancellation items and every single thing yeah. about your park. And then it will actually have really good conversations with you. I looked at a log one time yesterday where somebody from somebody named Sharon message and said, Hey, I'm going to be late for my stay at five 30. She's doing this with the AI. I didn't realize it was an AI. Thanks Sharon. That's so great. I'll, we're ready to welcome you whenever you get here and our late checkout office. Like it's just completely flawless. It will compare and contrast cabins, even if you don't program it to. It's 24-7 reservations. We, yes. I was thinking of math the other day. Like we charge, yeah. I don't know what we're going to charge for it, but it ended up being, I think we're going to charge like $500 a month for the bot and 500 for a website is what we charge normally. But if you take a part-time worker who makes $15 an hour and you save half of his day, not necessarily cutting his hours, but redirecting him yeah. to more valuable activities. do other stuff. Yeah. And that's $1,200 a month that you're basically saving, which means to have us do your website and your chat bot and have one, you're earning $200 a month. And given the labor shortages and hurdles we've seen right. and are hearing from campgrounds the last year and a half, it's those pain points where they're struggling to meet customer service expectation and demand can really be helped and alleviated by a lot of this stuff, which I think is a really valuable tool to explore if you're struggling to build the core team that you know, that could, will achieve the level you want of service. If they could ever integrate that AI stuff with dynamic pricing. Kara, how many phone calls did you get saying, how much is it tonight? Yes. Like, it, how much well, is it tonight? Will. Like, it's, it will right. come. Like, we're, we've been in discussions with CampSpot, for example, you with know. their API, not about this specific thing, but it's crossed my mind many times where I said to them, like, that needs to happen as a step. Because right now, if anybody asks about booking or pricing, it will display the CampSpot link and send them right there instead of discussing pricing because it's dynamic. We don't want them to do that and say it's $45 and then they check and it's 85 Yeah. But right, but COVID and dynamic pricing, they never dynamic pricing probably would have never hit the campgrounds if it wasn't for COVID. Not in the yeah, the broad sense that it has. Yeah. I think those top tier guys were that were really pioneering that yeah. would have done it anyway. But yeah, it really has pushed properties yeah. to racing. People say, Oh, grounds don't they shouldn't do that. You know what? Airlines do it, hotels do it, everybody does it. And, and, and well, it's Eleanor. I don't want to discount the RV industry here in season two. Like this is very good for technicians and information too, because this thing knows all of, it doesn't know current model RVs as of right now, it will very soon, 
But if you have, if you have a pre-2021 model and you're saying like, this is wrong with my RV, how do I fix it? Maybe it's something very easy that they don't have to take it to a tech floor. And then that tech can be available for somebody who actually does need them instead of wasting two hours trying to track down a problem. So this is stuff that helps the RV industry and dealers tremendously too, if they're willing to adopt it. Like I could probably use that service bought right now. Yeah. I mean, that part-time, that person that's spending most of their time answering these questions with consumers that the bot can do it on, you could take that time and put them out into the campground or even train them to be that mobile tech. They could be better used somewhere else and keep the everyday nuisances, not nuisances. Yeah. That's but, you can say, have the bot say, I don't think you can handle this on your own. Maybe you should book an appointment. Here's a link for the dealership. Yeah, that repetitive yeah. kind of on the phone. I used to have three or four girls sitting behind a desk in the early 2000s, sitting behind a desk, answering the same questions over and over all day long for eight mm -hmm. hour shifts. It's to alleviate all of that. It's it'd be huge saving. Huge. Yeah, there's a big application for the dealers because the problem we all know is we sold so many RVs the last three years. Fixed all these new people. They owned an RV. They got fix. And how many calls do the dealers get to say, "Do I have to winterize my RV? How do I winterize my?" There's so many of those items that could be automated and on the website. Send me a yep. dealer, Bob and John, and I'll do one for free for them to show a use case. What's that? I'll do a bot for free for a dealer if you send me one and find me one who's willing to be a test pilot. And oh, just, I can play. Eleanor, I'm sure that another thing that's an issue in Canada, maybe not as big as the U.S., is consolidation of dealerships where, you know, in the U.S. now, what do we got? Five, five mega companies? And we are, by the way, over, like I'm willing to continue, but if anybody has to drop off, please feel free to go ahead and do it. We have to drop off in two more hours because we got to do our other show. We're fine. I don't do anything on the <laughs> Two more hours, but yeah, consolidation, we're seeing it as well. And obviously not to the same degree. I think the largest group in Canada has about 40 dealerships, the Leisure Days group. And then the next one down has maybe 12, but it definitely is, is has pros and cons, but on both sides, they can streamline and become more efficient themselves. But then it sometimes is harder for the smaller dealership in that area that's competing with them. It shouldn't be though, Elder. Brian can attest to this from a marketing standpoint. I wrote an article in October 21 for RV Pro and I called it David versus Goliath. It wasn't beating up the mega dealers. Then why there's always going to be a place for an independent dealer, a small business person. And one of the, one of the sentences I put in the article, which I'm surprised I get very little kickback on that I don't expected Marcus Lamonis to call me the next morning, but he said that every RV dealer should go to night and hope that Marcus Lamonis opens up a camping world store across the street tomorrow morning. They didn't pick it, but it's the truth. They build the market. They bring more people into the market. They're big. They have to go by corporate rules. They screw up more people. They piss off more people. And they, they move slower. Person looks across the street and they see the small dealership. They go in, they greet them by name. Yo, that's business. But if you're not going to market that and if you're not going to show people that you are different, if you're going to hide under your desk because there's a mega dealer down the street, then get out of the business. Camping World uses that dealership for parts that they can't get fast enough. So right. sometimes that independent dealership, their biggest customer is Camping World. So. Very true. They've got dealers like that. But that's the thing too. It, the, the playing field is more level now with all the technology and the marketing and things that, yes, that I can do for a small, there's big, huge 
companies that I know of very clearly who don't do anywhere near the marketing that I can do for a 20 or 80 site campground because they either move slow or they've got people who have degrees that are 20 years old and haven't adapted with technology. And so a lot of this stuff has leveled the playing field to where five, 10 years ago, you needed, you needed somebody from a franchise perspective or somebody or like to, to, like you couldn't buy the bulk radio ads, the bulk TV ads, the bulk, but now you can do Facebook. Of course you can. So many changes, so many changes coming up. But I think they're all great. Like I really, like some of them, maybe not, but I think most of them are great depending on if you adopt them, if you can adapt to them, if you can use them and take and use them to your advantage. It's part of the reason we're doing this inside of marketing base camp podcast, right? Like I'm basically doing 300 plus episodes every single day that talk about how to do something with marketing. And maybe that that's, just like Harvesos, right? That's not going to take away my customer. Because if you want me to do the things for you that are super high level, you're going to hire me. But if you want to do that yourself, you were never my customer to begin with. Great. I'd rather you have the knowledge and do it right, right. and succeed. I'm sure you'd agree that a lot of campground owners think of marketing as something that you do when you don't have enough business. Yes. And only then. And the reality is you do it when you do have business and just keep that but especially because momentum. they don't understand why their business is there sometimes like the pipeline workers for example that's very easy to see why they're in the area but how do you know what's going to happen they could be gone tomorrow so are you just going to wait to market until they all evacuate because the pipeline got shut down or something yeah i also think there's a lot to be said for keeping that brand awareness stuff alive continuing to drive consumer interest in that park's always full. So it must be awesome. So I want to go there, but I can't know that about that park unless I know the park's there and it's being marketed to me. So I think keeping those, that kind of hot excitement around your park, even when it's busy is really valuable to maintaining. Yeah, I, mean, I could talk about this for hours, but I do, I do think we should wrap up and be respectful of people's time. <laughs> we are having a great conversation as always. Parting the final to Calgary is 2,500 miles. Oh, see you RV trip. Stampede, come on, let's go, guys. RV. See you then, July 6th. Eleanor's going to be here? Yeah. Yep, July 6th. Come on down. I got Alberta mixed up with Manitoba. Oh, yeah. We've only been over. I totally forgot about Saskatchewan. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for appearing on another episode of MC Carson. Bob, John, thanks for being here. Again, if you guys are don't know who Bob and John are, make sure you tune in to the show. What time is your show tonight, Bob and John? Seven o'clock Eastern time. And on the Facebook page for Nervda? Facebook. Awesome. So check out the show. Check out Campers Report. We appreciate you guys. Susan, Eleanor, Kara, as always. We will see you next week for another show. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.